Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Well, to be more accurate, half of the Brit Pack is back because my buddy Sandu is away this week. But fear not, you might not get him on this week's podcast, but you will be able to see his happy, smiley face this week as part of MMA Junkies' video coverage of Bellator 179 in London. So do be sure to look out for that. Now, as far as this show goes, well, it's going to be a bit different because you've just got me. I'm Simon Head, an MMA journalist from right here in the UK. It is a beautiful day here just outside Rochester in the southeast of England. I've got the window open, so if you hear the birds singing, that's why. And uh, yeah, we're just chilling out here and uh, looking back on what was a, a pretty crazy weekend of mixed martial arts. I'm not going to lie, the late night absolutely killed me. Um, I was up in Birmingham on the Friday night for Bama 29, which was a great night of fights. Really good fun. And uh, they looked after us royally on press row. It's the only time I've ever been on press row. And uh, one of the Bama staff turned up mid-show handing out Subway sandwiches, packets of crisps and bottles of water. Um, so we were all very grateful for that. It was, it was a great night up there in, uh, in Birmingham. Um, but it was a late night. I came back home on the train on Saturday morning and uh, got home absolutely, absolutely knackered. I'm going to be completely honest with you. And then it dawned on me that it's Saturday. Normally when you have a late night watching MMA, the following day is a Sunday. You can sort of shut down a little bit and sort of try and regather yourself before the start of the week. Well, this was Saturday, which meant we had UFC 211 on Saturday night. So I stupidly didn't get a tactical sleep in later in the day I powered through and uh, by the end of it I was a I was a mess I'm not going to lie to you I was an absolute mess um, but it was worth it because UFC 211 was absolutely nuts we had the heavyweight title on the line we had the strawweight title on the line and we had a stacked undercard that delivered great action and one or two moments of high controversy and we'll cover all of that on this week's show and of course we'll have our regular listener Q&A section You've sent us your questions again this week. We always appreciate you sending us your questions. You can do that by tweeting us at the Britpack MMA. Uh, we will answer those questions tweeted to us this week, a bit later on in the show. But there really is only one place to start, and that's the main event in Dallas, Texas. Steve Miocic retained the UFC Heavyweight Championship of the World, uh, equaled the record for the most consecutive championship defenses of that heavyweight belt. With two, it sounds ridiculous that someone who has held, basically retained the belt twice has somehow equaled a record. But that is that is the record in the UFC. Stipe Miocic is now on a hat-trick. And if he can complete the hat-trick, he will go down in UFC history as the single most dominant champion uh, in UFC history. Um, and it feels like he's only had the belt five minutes, but that's the truth of the situation. On Saturday night, he took on... Junior Dos Santos, the former heavyweight champion of the world, and a man who I confidently predicted would knock out Stipe relatively early on in this contest. What the hell did I know? Um, Junior just didn't seem to didn't seem to go about his game the way I expected him to. I've got to be honest. I expected him to use his jab a lot more. I expected him to be a lot more mobile, and I expected him to get keep his back well away from the cage, um, which he did very successfully against Ben Rothwell. Uh, Rothwell is perhaps a much more static opponent than Stipe Miocic. He's a little bit more dynamic, a bit more forward pushing, if you like. Um, 
And uh, Junior allowed himself to get pushed back on the cage. And he wasn't really firing off the punches. His, his main tactic seemed to be to really do some damage with his, uh, with his low leg kick uh, to the front leg of Stipe. And it seemed to be paying dividends, to be fair to him. It was doing some damage. Stipe was, was really feeling it. But uh, once Stipe closed the distance and landed, it was pretty much the first seriously clean shot that he landed. Wobbled Junior. Uh, Junior ended up down on his knees up against the cage. A few big shots from Stipe on the deck, and uh, that really was it. Fight was called. 2 minutes, 22 seconds. TKO finish, and still. Great performance from Stipe Miocic, who really doesn't show any nerves in the octagon these days. You know, you watched him a little earlier in his career. He looks a little anxious to impress, a little anxious to engage and really make his mark. But now this is a guy who I think is very comfortable in his own skin, very comfortable in the knowledge that he is the best heavyweight on the planet right now. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes next because the heavyweight division up until now has really been bit of an old boys club you know we've we've had the same names hanging around at the top of that heavyweight division for a while and I think it feels like we're beginning to get to a, a period of change um Stipe hasn't fought Cain Velasquez yet and Cain potentially could have been he's a man who could have been isn't he as a UFC heavyweight champion injury robbed robbed him of potentially a dominant run at the top of the division or at least a chance to have a dominant run at the top of the division you only have to look back at what he did to Brock Lesnar. He absolutely took Brock Lesnar to the cleaners uh, when he took the belt off him and uh, kicked off his reign as UFC heavyweight champion. And uh, whenever he's been fully fit and fully prepared for a fight, he's looked almost untouchable. Uh, and the fights he's lost have tended to have been have been when he hasn't been. You know the uh, the the Fabricio Verdum loss. You know the whole sea level cane. Joke has become, you know, it's become a meme now, um, and I, that's a fight I would love to see at some point. I don't know what stage in recovery uh, Kane is in right now. I'm pretty sure he's not ready to come back just yet, which throws another name into the mix, and that name is someone who hasn't fought for a heavyweight championship just yet. That name is Francis Ngannou. He's now moved over to Las Vegas. He's going to be taking full advantage of the UFC's new headquarters. Uh, I understand he's going to be making that at least part of his training base. And I understand he's trying a few gyms out around the uh, the Las Vegas area. But um, this is a guy who, incredibly raw talent, who just exploded onto the scene. I remember watching him. I think he might even have been his UFC debut in Zagreb, Croatia. And uh, they had a lot of heavyweights on that card. I think Junior headlined against, against Rothwell in the main event. But we also saw the UFC debuts of Francis Ngannou, Curtis Blades... Um, and, and, you know, Nagano absolutely looks like a monster. And he's, the only thing about him back then was, okay, he looks a bit rough around the edges, looks a bit raw. He's going to need a little bit of seasoning before he gets to the top. But he has absolutely propelled himself up that heavyweight division. He's looked incredibly, incredibly dangerous, very powerful. Uh, I was so impressed with the submission finish of, uh, oh, crikey, what's his name? Anthony Hamilton. Anthony Hamilton, where he basically grabbed a standing Kimura, dragged the 240-pound man to the mat as if he was just a small child, and made him tap instantly. That, for me, was the moment when we went, okay, this guy could be a serious contender. This isn't just a, this isn't just a raw prospect. This is a serious contender now. Then he went in there and absolutely demolished Andrei Arlovsky. 
Um, his next fight is going to be a big one. It's either going to be number one contender fight, or it's going to be the, or, or it's going to be for the belt. I, I can't see where else they're going to go with him. Stipe versus Naganu could be huge, and uh, I think Kevin Ioli wrote an article uh, suggesting that you know Stipe is, is really getting up there now as, as as one of the UFC's big stars, and he needs a big opponent. And Naganu is certainly that. Um, and whether it's Velasquez or whether it's Nagano, I think that next fight for Mirochic is going to be huge. And if Stipe wins that, then, you know, in terms of UFC, then we could argue that Stipe is the best heavyweight we've seen in the UFC. Because the quality of fighter, the the breadth of skill set, um, the levels of cardio are so much higher in the heavyweight division now than they ever were. Um and I think we've got a, a more a more finely evolved athlete now at the top of the UFC heavyweight division. Um, and Stipe, if he backs that up with three back-to-back title defences, then re- I think he is the top dog in the UFC. I don't think he's in the whole heavyweight greatest of all time conversation just yet. I think he needs to cement his legacy. I think he needs to he needs to really clean out the division um, before we can start talking in the same sort of terms as people like Fedor, Mirko um, Krokop and people like that, um, who at their peak were just phenomenal, phenomenal athletes um, and were beating virtually everybody. So I think Stipe's got a little ways to go yet before we get to that level of conversation, but he's certainly there in the UFC ranks now as one of the one of the best, if not the best, we've seen under those three letters. Um, it was mentioned before this fight about... We've got two nice guys competed in this main event. Everybody knows what a lovely guy Junior Dos Santos is. Uh, it was impossible not to watch watch him during the open workouts with uh, little Eli Morgan, John's John's little lad, and uh, not just uh, have that little warm, fuzzy feeling. Um, he is a genuinely lovely guy. Um, and uh, it's sad when you see nice people get, get knocked down like that. But then on the other side of the coin was another guy who... Um, in, in Stipe, who is just as nice a bloke. I was really fortunate um, back in November for Fight Week in UFC 205. Um, a few of a, a few of the media got invited to uh, a, a, a media luncheon. We went to a New York steakhouse, and uh, we sat down and we had lunch with Stipe Miocic. And Stipe, even in this Fight Week, people were sort of having a bit of a dig at him, uh, saying that he's hard to get quotes from he's difficult to talk to and in a media setting where it is literally I'm firing questions at you that is I think that's probably true he is he is a little withdrawn and within himself and that's fine but you get him in a social setting in as 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 we did in New York and honestly he was an absolute riot he was such he's such a funny guy um, just sharing stories about his career, life at the fire station, um, everything, you know, all sorts of weird and wonderful tales he was telling us. He's a really funny guy. You watch him on Twitter. He's really entertaining on Twitter. That's the real Stipe. Um, and uh, I think that the longer he stays at the top in the sport, the more relaxed he'll get with the media. And hopefully we'll, we'll get to see more, more of Stipe's personality because He's got he's got one and it's a great one and uh, I think people need to see more of it. So hopefully we can coax a little more of that out of him in the uh, in the weeks and months to come. 
but a great man and a great fighter to have in that position as the UFC's undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. But that wasn't the only world championship on the line at UFC 211 in Dallas this past weekend. Joanna and Jacek, Joanna champion, as uh, as we've grown to call her, defeated Jessica Andrade by unanimous decision, as lopsided a decision as you could possibly hope for. 50-45, 50-44, and 50-45. Now, that's not to say that Jessica Andrade did nothing in that fight. She pushed forward from minute one to minute 25. She went in there and left everything she had in there. She was just outclassed. She was just outclassed. And that's that's absolutely no criticism of Jessica Andrade, who earned her title shot with some really, really impressive performances inside the octagon. But we really have to start talking about Yuani and Jacek as a pound-for-pound great now. Um, I think I said on the MMA Roadshow a few months back, it might even have been last year, uh, it might even have been in New York, I think we did a thing in New York, and uh, I think Joanna was fighting Carolina on that card, and I said to to uh, to John Morgan on the MMA Roadshow, I had Joanna in top three, pound for pound, in the UFC at that point. And honestly, I see nothing to change that. I see nothing to change that. Um, and... She's just that good. And there's been a suggestion online. I know some other members of the media have said that people have contacted I think Luke Thomas might have mentioned it. Said that some people have privately contacted him and said that Joanna doesn't finish enough fights. And that's why they're not so keen. And other people have gone on Twitter and said, well, she's not knocking anybody out. Well, how many women's strawweight fighters are actually knocking people out? You know, these are these are very small athletes. Um, you know, they're not, they're not big, heavy, sort of heavy set, muscular, powerful athletes who go in there and starch people with one shot. You know, I'm assuming the people who aren't that enamored with watching Joanny and Jacek fight are the same people who can't get excited for a Demetrius Johnson fight because both in their own way, they are, they are the two most dominant champions in the UFC. Point blank. They are the two most dominant champions in the UFC. And Demetrius Johnson will beat you any which way you like. If you're a wrestler, he doesn't care. He'll out-wrestle you. You're a striker, he doesn't care. He'll out-strike you. And he'll do it faster, quicker, slicker, with better technique than you, to the point that by the end of the fight, you have to hold your hands up and say, wow, that guy is the best in the world. Joanna is slightly different. Joanna has her skill set. Her skill set is Muay Thai. And nobody has been able to penetrate that yet. Um, Claudia Gadella tried, had a teeny bit of success early on, but over a five-round fight, Joanna pulled clear and beat her comfortably. Um, Carolina uh, Kolkiewicz decided to fight fire with fire, stood and traded, perhaps didn't quite have the belief early on that she could really take on Joanna. And as the fight went on, she kind of grew into it and she had more success. But at the end of the day, Joanna was the one who fought at full throttle for the entire fight. And no one yet has been able to keep pace with her. No one's been able to stand toe-to-toe with her um, over five five five-minute rounds. And that is why she is the best in the world. Um, You know, you look at, you know, people, sort of champions elsewhere in MMA, you look at Ben Askren. Ben Askren is is just a prodigious wrestler, and that's his thing. Um, and 
if he got involved in a striking match with some of the best welterweights in the world, and it was purely striking, he might find himself in trouble because striking isn't his number one thing. But in mixed martial arts, you have the you have the facility to use whatever skill set you choose and whatever skill set you deem most appropriate for that particular moment in the fight. And with someone like Askren, if you can't solve the Askren wrestling puzzle, you're screwed. And it's exactly the same with Yuani and Jacek. If you can't deal with Yuani and Jacek stand-up, then you've got a problem. And I think, really, she's cheap. She's not cleaned out the division yet by any stretch. You know, there's probably some other fights in there you could make for her. But she is as dominant a champion as we've got in the UFC right now. And I'll tell you something, she's already got her eyes on that 125-pound belt. That tough season that the UFC are planning, she'll just be sitting back and watching it and going, okay, you girls fight it out in the house. Determine who the champion is, and then I'll step in and take the belt off you. Guaranteed that's what she's thinking. And you know what? I think that's what she'll do as well. I think she will be a two-weight UFC world champion. I think the interesting dynamic, if that happens, if Joanna does go up to 125, it will open up a whole load of new matches for her against people who potentially could have fought at 135 previously. I know Jessica and Judge fought at 135 previously, but she was very small at 135. And even in the title fight with Joanna, she looked... Almost a weight class small. I mean, she's very, very strong and very muscular. But from a height and reach point of view, it was a huge difference with Joanna. So I think Joanna versus a few of these 135ers who might move down to uh, to have a crack at 125. I think that opens up a whole new a whole new set of tests for her. And if she can basically replicate the success at 125 that she's having at 115, then you know, you really have got someone who you're not just talking top three, you might be talking top two or, you know, right up there challenging uh, Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius has obviously got the uh, the longevity in his favour, um, but he's done it in one weight class. As good as he is, he's done it in one weight class. If Joanna can be dominant in two weight classes, and I'm not talking winning championships in two weight, in, in two weight classes, I'm talking... Dominant in two weight classes, that is becoming champion and beating challenges, um, then she might have a claim for being the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. Now, be an interesting conversation to have a bit further down the line if Joanna does indeed capture that one twenty five pound title. Uh, maybe later this year, maybe early twenty eighteen. But watch this space for Joanna champion. We might have to start calling her Joanna double champion. Uh, in a not too distant future. Great performance from Herlow. 50-45, 50-44, 50 So that, that's the two world championship fights done. And we now know who will face, or at least we think we do, who will face Tyron Woodley next. Because Damian Meyer defeated Jorge Masvidal via split decision. 29-28 each way. And then a third card, 29-28 in favour of Meyer. Giving him... The split decision win. Tough fight this because Masvidal found himself on the defensive uh, as Meyer was looking to to grapple as he does for most of the fight. Uh, Masvidal did a good job of nullifying a lot of Meyer's grappling but he was in constant danger throughout. When the fight was in the stand-up, Masvidal was dominating the stand-up. So what you're doing normally when you're scoring a fight, you have to, it's, it's, it's the combination of striking and grappling. 
and you decide based on the striking, the striking and grappling on each side of the coin, who did best, and that then helps you to determine who wins the round. But this is a really interesting, uh, a really interesting issue here because, and it's one that I, I think I might well hit up um, Ben Cartledge, who is a, a very very experienced judge of MMA and is a, a regular on the European circuit and uh, judges UFC events as well and very very well respected in the sport because what we had here normally you're you're saying okay this person striking and grappling versus this person striking and grappling but you didn't really have that in this fight because Maya basically didn't strike and Masvidal basically didn't grapple in terms of any kind of attacking so so what you're trying to judge is what was the more pervading thing in the fight was it Maya's grappling or was it Masvidal striking? And how do you directly uh, compare the two? Because it's apples and oranges at that point. Um, and it was clearly something that the three judges weren't 100% in line. Uh, because one of the judges obviously decided that Masvidal striking was weighted significantly uh, over Myers, Myers grappling. Um, and, you know, people talk about damage and, and impact and things like that in, in the scoring criteria. I think that the, the uh, terminology is impact. Um, but uh, grappling by nature doesn't deliver impact or damage where striking does. So in that respect, some of the wording is almost lopsided towards the striking. I think it's a really interesting discussion point. And uh, I'll probably get in touch with Ben Cartledge just to, for as much as anything, to get educated on uh, on how judges go about this because... Everyone's a flipping armchair judge when, when they're watching fights. I'm no different. Um, I try and score fights as closely to how I think a judge will do it. Um, but I'm not a judge. I'm not a qualified judge. Uh, and it's always good to get the uh, guidance of and, and, and opinion from people who are. Um, but I thought that was very interesting because you were basically judging Myers grappling versus Masvidal striking. Apples versus oranges. And Apple's won by split decision. Damian Meyer gets the nod. Personally, I thought that was the right call. I thought Damian Meyer was the dominant fighter over the uh, over the sort of the larger period of the fight, if you like. Um, straight after the fight, he went over to the cage and uh, had a very very quick conversation with Dana White. Basically, said, "Look, I've got this winning streak. I've won more fights in the UFC than any Brazilian ever. Um, please, can I have my title shot now?" And uh, Dana White said, you got it. Now, we've also now got the issue of George St. Pierre, who's not going to be fighting Michael Bisping. And there has been a suggestion that GSP's return will now be at 170. And you can bet that Tyron Woodley, if you give him the opportunity to choose, he's going to pick George St. Pierre because he's not an idiot. Um, Because George St. Pierre means two things. It means dollar bills and it means fighting a guy that hasn't fought in three years. That is an absolute no-brainer decision if you're Tyron Woodley. Sucks if you're Damian Meyer. But Damian Meyer did say after the fight that he wants to take some time away. He's got loads of seminars that he needs to do back home in Brazil. And uh, he needs to just take a little bit of a break. So it might actually all work out rather nicely for everyone concerned. Tyron Woodley will get the big money fight that we know that he wants. He can fight George St. Pierre who gets the comeback fight that he wants and gets the opportunity. And this is a far more compelling story than the Bisbing fight for me anyway. Because now we've got the ty- the, uh, the narrative of George St. Pierre coming back to the, the coming back to the welterweight division to reclaim the belt that he never lost. 
against the current world champion. That, to me, is the perfect scenario for his comeback. I think that's the comeback that he should always have been gunning for in the first place, in my opinion. Um, that might well be the way it goes now. International fight week, or just after international fight week, maybe we can see that fight happen. I think that would be fantastic. Um, as for Damian Meyer, he can then be going away, doing everything he needs to do, recharge his batteries, uh, fulfill all of his uh, seminar obligations, back home in Brazil. Woodley and GSP can do their thing in July, early August time. Then Meyer can come back in the autumn, take on the winner, get his deserved title shot, and the welterweight division is rolling once again. I think that makes absolute sense for everybody concerned. And everything pieces together quite nicely. Let's hope that that is what happens and we don't get any more uh, spanners in the works or anything like that or injuries or issues or, you know, last thing we need is another flipping interim title thrown into the mix. So, um, and uh, if you're Tyron Woodley, you want to get back in the cage as soon as possible and beat someone decisively because those two fights with uh, Wonderboy Thompson... Sometimes, sometimes you you know you see these fights where people just cancel each other out, and that was one of those. And it, you know, it was, it didn't really leave us completely satisfied at the end of either one of them. And that's no, that's no downer on Wonder Boy or Tyron Woodley, but you like to see clear, decisive results in these things. And uh, we didn't really get that, but we did have two, two fights between the two, uh, and Woodley came out on top, so he moves on. And uh, fingers crossed he'll get GSP next. At least that's that's what I'd like to see. Now, the next fight on the UFC 211 card was the one fight I was looking forward to more than any other. Frankie Edgar, Yair Rodriguez, um, the super prospect versus, for me, the legend in waiting, Frankie Edgar. For me, he's always been in my top two or three favorite fighters to watch in the UFC. If you're fighting Frankie Edgar, you better bring your lunch because... Uh, even if you think you can hurt him, hurting him is one thing. Finishing him is something entirely different. Just talk to Gray Maynard. Um, and uh, the thing that struck us during fight week was the size differential was really huge. I mean, Frankie Edgar was a former UFC lightweight champion of the world. They're fighting at featherweight. And Rodriguez looked a good weight class bigger than Frankie Edgar. Um, so how Yair gets down to 145, I'll never know. But he looks relatively healthy doing it. He doesn't look, you know, you see what Connor used to look like on the scales towards the end of his featherweight run. He looked bad on the scales. Yaya didn't look that terrible. Um, so he's, I mean, he's still young and he's still probably still growing into his body a little bit. I fully expect that he will end up at 155, but right now he's at 145. And this was a real watershed fight for him. This was the fight that really would determine whether he was ready. For a title shot. The UFC looking for a big event coming up in Mexico. I think Yair was possibly being penciled in. As a potential title contender. Had he got past Frankie Edgar. You can imagine Yair versus Aldo in Mexico. Would be a huge deal. Or even Yair versus Max Holloway. Would be a would be a big title fight down there. So um, what we did know. Yair had a huge pop from the crowd. Uh, there was a lot of Frankie Edgar fans in that building as well. On Saturday night and. When the fight started, it was really interesting to see how Frankie would deal with the superior reach of Yair Rodriguez. And also the fact that Yair loves throwing kicks, which just extends that reach even further. Um, and he's not the sort of fighter who just puts his kicks out there. He snaps them out there and brings them back very quick. So, 
you know, wrestlers quite often see fighters who like to kick. They quite often see kicks as an opportunity for takedowns. But someone like Yair, who throws with such power and speed, um, it's it's sometimes it, it's it's not always as easy to be able to grab a kick from someone like Yair Rodriguez or um, someone like Edson Barbosa, you know, because those kicks are going to do some damage. But Frank Yeager did exactly what I thought he would do. I, I, in the uh, in, in last week's show, I told uh, I told Sandy that Edgar would win this fight, um, and he did exactly what I thought he would do: close the distance, got his hands on Yair, and uh, basically beat him up, took him to the mat and beat him up. Um, and we saw at that point that mixed martial arts at UFC level is all it really is about levels and. There's a big difference between being a hot prospect and being a legitimate world elite level fighter. And we saw that. Yair isn't yet an elite level world championship caliber fighter. I'm sure he will be. And I think this fight will be a, a real a real benefit to him. And I think if he looks back on it in like three, four, five years time, I expect he'll point to this fight as a bit of a turning point for him. Um, because this was where real life really did kick in. Uh, for Yair Rodriguez. And uh, Frank Yeager really did hand his backside to him for for uh, as long as the fight lasted. It ended up stopped at the end of the second round. Uh, the doctor in the end called a, called a stop to it. I think Rodriguez's left eye was completely shut. Um, he wanted to carry on. All credit to him. But also credit to the, uh, the, uh, the Octagon side physician who made, I think, the correct call because... That fight was a fight that really Rodriguez was showing zero sign of winning. He was he was outclassed, he was getting beat up, and he was getting busted up as well. And I think in situations like that, there really is no reason to send him back out there for another five minutes of punishment. So I think that was probably the right call. Um, and uh, Rodriguez will go back to the drawing board. He will address these these uh, these these holes in his game. I'm sure he's still only young. Frank Yeager, meanwhile, has proved that he ain't going anywhere just yet. You know, he might be in his mid-30s, but he can still throw down with the best of them. And uh, he's very much a legitimate contender for that UFC featherweight championship as he bids to become a two-weight world champion in the UFC. If Max Holloway beats Jose Aldo, I book Frank Yeager into a title fight straight away. If Jose Aldo beats Max Holloway, it becomes a little trickier because we've seen that Edgar... Aldo fight twice before and Aldo has won both of them relatively handily um, sort of cruising to points decisions on both both occasions but Frankie versus Max Holloway would be a great fight so if you're a fan of seeing Frankie Edgar go for that title I guess you're cheering Max Holloway on when he fights Jose Aldo but that's going to be one hell of a fight either way um, and if you're Frankie I think you're going to be pulling for the Hawaiian because uh, I think he's the best chance he's got of uh, getting a shot at the UFC featherweight championship. The other fight, the kick off the main card, was David Branch versus Christoph Jocko. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, the fight finishes a split decision, 29-28 uh, either way. And then the third card, 29-28 in favour of the former World Series of Fighting two-weight champ. Uh, who uh, gets a good win at the... Uh, start of his, his new UFC career. He fought in UFC before, but he's now back as a former two-weight world champion World Series. Takes on a top-ten guy, a tricky guy in Christoph Jocko. Gets the split decision win. I've got to be honest, at that point in the night, I was struggling. 
uh, and my ability to score that fight was completely, completely gone. Uh, the eyelids were going. I was, uh, I had to load up on some on some espresso so that I could get through the rest of the night. So I, I didn't have my eyes 100% fixed on that particular matchup. Um, but uh, good to see uh, a veteran like David Branch jumping back in and proving that he can hang with a very tricky European opponent in Christoph Jocko. The preliminary card, we had some great fights on the pre- The prelims were outstanding. Um, the, uh, the, fight, the fight past prelims, not so much. Um, but the, uh, the, TV, the TV prelims that we had on BT Sport here in the UK um, and on FX in the States, they, they all had incredible, incredible matchups. We'll go bottom to top. James Vick versus Marco Polo Reyes. Vic looked superb against Polo Reyes. Uh, TKOing him with punches. Beautiful combination uh, to drop him and finish him. Um, did that in just over two and a half minutes of the first round. Um, nice little promo on the microphone as well from James Vic. We do like that here at the Brit Pack where the fighters get that mic time and really do make it count. And he did. Um, so uh, he deserves a move up, definitely. I think a lot of people were surprised um, to see him against Polo Reyes rather than a higher ranked opponent. Um, hopefully now we will see him get that push uh, and maybe stick him in there with a top 15 guy. or Maybe even a top 10 guy next time because I think he's I, th- I think he's deserved that opportunity now. But uh, that lightweight division is a shark tank so anybody he gets in that top 15 is going to be a real test for him. And if he wins that, onwards and upwards for the executioner, James Vick. At heavyweight we saw the fight of the night Um Chase Sherman versus Rashad Coulter. Second round knockout from a short elbow. But that really doesn't tell the story of this fight. The first round of this fight was all about Chase Sherman just picking Rashad Coulter apart. Really nice, slick, you know, relatively good technical striking, I thought. You know, just popping stuff out. Using the jab better than we see from most heavyweights. He was just constantly ping, ping, ping. You know, just putting those... Those knuckles in in Coulter's face constantly for five rounds. Then in the second round, all hell broke loose. It was as if it was like, okay, we're not going to worry about technique anymore. We are just going to throw down. And the pair of them were absolutely spent physically, uh, and they were throwing they were throwing the kitchen sink at each other. It was it became one of those fights where technique went out the window, and it was all about how big your stones were. And uh, both the guys. Really did go for it. And to see Coulter on his UFC debut, I think he'd stepped in at like a week's notice or something like that, two weeks notice, against Sherman, who himself had stepped in at short notice, but slightly earlier on. Um, to see them both absolutely empty the chamber and go for it like that was was was, was phenomenal. And uh, the crowd the crowd absolutely loved it. And... Uh, you know, fun a fun post fight interview again from Chase Sherman gave a lot of uh, a lot of credit to Rashad Coulter for stepping in there and doing what he did, um, and uh, yeah, that got fifty thousand uh, dollars bonus checks sent in the direction of both those guys. And if you're Rashad Coulter in particular coming in for your UFC debut, I understand he lost his job in the lead up to this fight. Um, a fifty thousand dollar paycheck on top of whatever he earned for his debut. I'm assuming he would have been on ten and ten or twelve and twelve. So uh, sixty-two thousand dollar paycheck, and he lost. Um, I think he'll be. Uh, I think he'll be quite happy um, 
with his uh, with his nice work, even though the fight didn't go his way. Uh, great performance from them, and a great performance too from the man known among the media as Hick Diaz, Jason the Kid Knight against Chaz Skelly. Uh, this was my sleeper pick for fight of the night, and uh, on on many other occasions it might well have got it. You know that that Sherman Coulter fight pipped it. But Knight versus Skelly was a cracking scrap, and it went all the way to the third round. Uh, real back and forth stuff. A um, lot of respect between the two of them, uh, which was good to see. Jason Knight getting the job done. TKO finish. I don't think Chess Skelly had ever been finished prior to that fight, uh, so that was a real statement victory for Jason Knight. And I think there's 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 big things in his future at UFC uh, at the 145 pound division. Always looking for new talent to push. People with interesting storylines, interesting backgrounds. And Jason Knight has got all of those in abundance. So, And the other thing, he's entertaining to watch. So looking forward to seeing where they push Jason Knight next. Wherever it is, I'll be tuning in for sure. Because he is a very exciting up-and-coming fighter in that 145-pound division. That then led on to the featured prelim. The FX prelim. Or BT Sport 2 prelim as it was here in the UK. Eddie Alvarez, a former lightweight champion of the world. Against Dustin Poirier, uh, former contender in the featherweight division. And current contender in the lightweight division. Really, really big fight for the division this. Uh, a fight that a lot of people were really looking forward to. Myself included. And uh, unfortunately, an unfortunate set of events robbed us of what I think could have been an instant classic because it was certainly heading that way. Alvarez, uh, Alvarez and Poirier just went at it. They, they they went at it. It was a fantastic fight. And at some point, Poirier ended up uh, grounded. Uh, he had one hand down and obviously both feet on, on the canvas. We, we were using the, uh, the old unified rules as opposed to the new unified rules. So one hand is plenty enough to be a down fighter. And Alvarez hit him with a knee to the head when he had one hand down. So that's an illegal knee. After that knee, um, Poirier then dropped to one knee himself. So he then had hand on the mat, foot on the mat, knee on the mat. So he's even more clearly grounded the second time round. Alvarez then hits him with another knee. That knee really did connect. Um, at, at that point, Herb Dean, Herb Dean paused the fight. Um, illegal knee. Now, to me, this is a cut and dry situation. Eddie Alvarez should have been disqualified for illegal knees. And I love Eddie Alvarez. I think he's a great fighter. He's one of my favourite fighters to watch. And I know he's an honest fighter as well. And he wouldn't have done it deliberately. I'm sure of that. I think he's just in the zone. Fighters are now expected to try and remember what rule set they're fighting under from event to event, and that's unfair on the fighter. Um, and Eddie Alvarez was fighting under the old unified rules. Um, even if he was fighting under the new unified rules, the second knee was still illegal. And that was the knee that really did the damage on Dustin Poirier. Uh, and, and and what happened at that point was the fight was was, was paused, and uh, they, they got the doctors in to check over Dustin Poirier, who was clearly affected by that second knee. It sort of Smashed him just to the side of the eye there. Might even have done some orbital damage. I don't know. Um, and, uh, you know, Poirier said he couldn't see properly. Um, and so they, they, they stopped the fight. That was the first thing. 
everyone was disappointed because what was shaping up to be an absolute cracker of a fight was cut short in its prime. Um, then the then we had the uh, the confusion over what they were going to do with the decision. Now for me, it looked obvious: illegal knees, two of them. Now I don't know whether they were allowed instant replay or, or not, but what we do know was that the fight was stopped for an illegal knee. So to me. Herb Dean has seen the foul, um, and to the best of my knowledge, I don't think intent has anything to do with it. If you commit a foul, you commit a foul. Um, And it was ruled an accidental foul, and therefore it was ruled as a no contest. I don't get that. Like, I can understand, like, an accidental eye poke or something like that, because, you know, there's the slightly more involved there, but... If you're kneeing someone in the head, you're intending to knee them in the head. You know, a stray finger can go in an eye. I understand that. But that wasn't a stray knee that went into the side of Dustin Poirier's head. That knee was deliberate. You know, Eddie Alvarez threw it, therefore it's deliberate. Now, the issue then is, was he was it an illegal knee or was it a legal knee? Well, it was illegal because Dustin Poirier was down. He actually landed two, but the one that it was stopped for was the second one. And that's enough. The fight should have been ruled as a disqualification to Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier winning the fight. Now, that isn't how it went. It ended up as a no contest. Dustin Poirier, uh, I think, is appealing. I think he wants to get his win bonus, and that's fair enough. I think he deserves it insofar as that decision wasn't a fair reflection of what happened. It's hard on Eddie Alvarez just because, you know, he... He did commit the foul. I don't. I don't believe there was any malice or or intent to throw an illegal knee. There was an intent to throw a knee, all right, because he he sure as hell threw it. But I I do think that asking fighters to fight under different rule sets from city to city, state to state, event to event, it's unfair on the fighters. And what it does is it makes it makes a mockery of the sport. Regulation of this sport is absolutely crucial. Absolutely crucial, and but you've got to be consistent. If the if the rules aren't consistent, you haven't got a proper sport. You need to have a consistent sport. You don't watch a Premier League game and you go, "Oh right, we're playing in Manchester this week." Actually, this is this is kind of a funny example. I was going to say we're playing in Manchester this week, so we're playing ninety eight minutes every week. It used to be like that when Alex Ferguson was the manager, but um, that wasn't that wasn't an official rule change. That's Fergie time. Uh, any football fans out there will know exactly what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is, you need to have the same rule set wherever that octagon lands. And this is where it gets tricky because the UFC can't self-regulate in the States. They have to go by the rules of the athletic commissions. It would be far, far better for the sport. It would be far, far better for the athletic commissions and much, much better for the athletes as well and for the UFC we need one rule set. That's why it's called the unified rules. Right now, we don't have unified rules. We have two sets of rules that both have the, the, the term unified, but then but because they both exist, there's no unification whatsoever. It's, okay, we're in Texas, so we're going with this rule set. We're in California, so we're doing this. We're in New Jersey, so we're doing that. And it doesn't make any sense. We some Someone somewhere has to get all of these commissions into a room and say, look, this has to be knocked into shape. We need to have 
one set of rules. It's better to have one consistent set of rules that we're 95% happy with than having one set that we're 100% happy with that we can only use in three states in America. It makes no sense. Have a consistent set of rules and then hopefully there'll be less confusion. We'll have less controversial incidents like we had in the Alvarez Poirier fight and fight results will be far more legitimate and consistent than, than they are in situations like this. Um, went on a little bit of a, a mini rant there, but I think you probably get what I'm what I'm going for there. We just need consistency. That's all we need. We just need consistency. So that was UFC 211. Just to quickly uh, put a bow on this, the three uh, fight pass prelims. Courtney Casey defeated Jessica Aguilar by unanimous decision. Very, very, very impressed with Courtney Casey. She just seems to be getting better and better. Um, I remember her first fight in the UFC. I think it was a short notice debut against Joanne Calderwood in Scotland. Um, she lost that, but she showed pretty well in that fight as well. She really did bring the best out of uh, Jojo on that night. And uh, I know uh, from talking to to John Morgan, who I believe called some of Courtney's uh, early fights or was at least present at some of them, um, he thought that she would... You know she had the she had the toughness to really stick around in that UFC strawweight division, and she's certainly proving that against Jessica Aguilar, who, when they first formed the division, was considered one of the one of the best fighters at that weight. Um, and uh, Casey gets the de- the decision thirty twenty sevens across the board. Uh, she deserves a move up now, and uh, deserves to be fighting somewhere other than the fight past prelims. I would suggest uh, Enrique Barzola versus Gabriel Benitez. This was an entertaining scrap at featherweight. Uh, two tough Latin America guys going at it. Um, it looked to me like Benitez was doing all right in the first round. I thought he won the first round. And then Barzola started to take over. Um, got the unanimous decision win, um, winning rounds two and three, I would assume, on uh, on the judges' scorecards. Because Benitez looked good in the opening round. But uh, Barzola mixed up his game really well, switching up takedowns with striking. Uh, Benitez was looking good in the striking department. But Barzola had that had that um, mix of skills in his game and really did uh, bring those to bear and got a deserved win, I thought, on the scorecards, 29-28 across the board for the Peruvian. Uh, And the opening fight of the night, and here's my attempt at the most difficult name to pronounce on the card, Gadzimurad Antigulov defeated Joachim Christensen by first round submission, rear naked choke, very impressive, good finish, um, and uh, I'm sure we will see him on some European fight cards as the year goes on. Um, makes sense to me. Uh, get a European guy on European cards. Although I believe he lives and trains in the States, um, but I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him uh, flown over for some of these European cards. Uh, we need another light heavyweight uh, star or contender. You know, we've, you know, we've been talking about it in recent weeks. The UFC 205 Panda Vision could do with some some fresh blood and some some new talent. And uh, Anti Gulov looks like he might be one of them. So uh, keep your eyes on him because uh, that didn't look too shabby in the first fight of the night. So there you go, UFC 211 in the books from Dallas, Texas. Uh, if you want the numbers, there were 17,834 people in the American Airlines Center for a total gate of 2.66 million dollars. Um, big fight card. I think it delivered. Um, we had a couple of little little issues. Performance of the night went to Stipe Miocic, 50 grand. Uh, Jason Knight, 50 grand. And as we mentioned earlier, 
fight of the night, Chase Sherman, Rashad Coulter, take a bow, gents, uh, have a nice bath, but do it with the knowledge you have got 50 Gs heading into your respective bank accounts and very, very well deserved they are too. Uh, that's UFC 211. Now, we are in the beginning of fight week here in the UK. That is because Bellator are here in the UK for Bellator 179 Daily versus McDonald. Uh, the main card, unfortunately, we've lost our co-main event. And honestly, I'm absolutely gutted about this. Michael Venom Page has sustained an injury. He's off the card. That fight with uh, with uh, Derek Anderson, I was looking forward to that. I thought that was going to be a really nice test for uh, for MVP. But uh, that fight is off the card. So we've had a little bit of a rejig. So we're running through the main card because that is the only bit of the card we're going to see on TV. Uh, the main event, Paul Semtex Daily against Rory McDonald. How many fights has Paul Semtex Daily had? Look at this. 39 wins, 14 losses, and two draws against Rory McDonald, who is 18-4. Rory Mack, obviously, this is going to be his Bellator MMA debut, having um, switched promotions, having left the UFC and signed a, what I can only assume is a, a chunky-looking contract with, uh, with Bellator MMA. He's got his eyes set on that Bellator MMA welterweight championship belt. But so does Paul Daly. And the winner of this, according to Scott Coker, will get the next shot at Douglas Lima and that Bellator Bellator welterweight belt. Uh, That's the main event. The light heavyweight feature bout, as it's called here. That's going to be the co-main. Liam McGeary, Linton Vassell, Battle of Britain at £205. Two really strong, tough Guys who know their way around on the mat. McGeary, we know about his jiu-jitsu. 12-1. His only losses to the champ. Uh, Linton Vassell, 17-5. He's been a constant threat at £205 in that light heavyweight division. Always been there or thereabouts. If he beats Liam McGeary on Friday night, he's right up there with a shot at the championship. So, really important fight. Big, big fight between two British fighters at light heavyweight. Uh, Also on the card... A familiar face to people who have been watching MMA um, for the last 10 years or so. Czech Congo, the big Frenchman, used to train out of the UK. I don't know if he does anymore. He's 26 and 10 with two draws, taking on Augusto Sakai, who is 9 0 and 1. Uh, so Sakai coming in with a little bit of momentum, undefeated uh, in his 10 fight career. But he's taking on a very, very experienced guy in Czech Congo. Um, so we look forward to seeing that one. And uh, a nice story in the World to Weight prelim. Uh, Kevin Ferguson Jr., better known to the world of MMA as Baby Slice. Of course, the, the son of the sadly departed uh, Kevin Ferguson Sr., better known as Kimbo Slice. Um, Kimbo was due to fight in London last year. Um, and uh, unfortunately... We never, we never got to see him, uh, and uh, he passed away sadly last year. But his son will continue the legacy. Uh, Baby Slice will step into the cage for only his second professional bout. He lost his debut, but he's looking to get his first ever professional win in London against uh, debutant DJ Griffin. So, um, looking forward to seeing that. That'll be that'll be an emotional fight, I think, um, and. Um, Certainly, the story of uh, Kevin Ferguson Jr. I don't think anyone's painted him out to be a world champion or anything, but I think what 
you know there is a, there's a human interest story there for sure and uh, I know a lot of people will be pulling for him when he steps in there against DJ Griffin on Friday night uh, also scheduled for the main card is a pre uh, a prelim bout it's just prelim bout but it's been listed here on my uh, on my mail out from Bellator as being on the main card Dan Vinny against Alex Lahore on paper this looks like a, a win for Alex Lahore he's 10 and 1 uh, against Dan Vinny, who has a 50-50 record, 14-14. and 14. So make of that what you will. That may well kick off the main card. Either that or it might be a uh, like a float fight. They might put that on after the main event is finished. Who knows? They sometimes do that. So, uh, so yeah, that's 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 your main card. Um, other notable names in action. We've got Stav Economou, who has been a bit of a veteran of the, uh, the UK scene, fighting heavyweight against Rob Beach. Uh, who else we've got Chase Morton taking on Jeremy Petley in a 150 pound catch weight fight Neil Grove the Goliath the big South African uh, is uh, he, he's in action against Lucas Lucas Parabich, uh in a heavyweight prelim fight and uh, yeah we've got we've got a packed a packed night of fights there but it really is all about I think those top four fights Baby Slice then Czech Congo, then McGeary versus Vassell in the co-main, and then of course the big one, Paul Semtex Daly versus Rory McDonald. Um, Sandu will be on site all week this week uh, with our friend Abby Saban. They'll be shooting uh, interviews uh, throughout fight week, so do be sure to check those out uh, on MMA Junkie. I will be on editing duty this week for MMA Junkie, so you'll be able to read. Read my 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 write ups during fight week during the pre uh, the uh, the early part of fight week and then on fight night itself I will be there at Cage Side uh, and I'll be doing a live blog from my website MMA365.com. Please do check that out. Uh, that's a little holding pen for all my writing stuff. Um, but I will also be doing some bits and bobs uh, for MMA Junkie during fight week as well. So please do uh, be sure to check that out as well. Now, before we go, it's Q&A time, so I will fire up my Twitter machine and we will take a look at the questions that we've had this week. Uh, do you think, says Sam Ribeiro, do you think Bisbing will end up fighting Yoel Romero and GSP will end up fighting Anderson Silva? Well, Sam, um, I don't think GSP will end up fighting Anderson Silva. Um, that's a fight that I think makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. GSP says Anderson Silva isn't where he was in the past. Uh, I think from a business standpoint, GSP doesn't think Silva's a big enough fight anymore. It's a bit of a slap in the face if you're Anderson Silva, given that he's at least been in the UFC and has been active. And GSP hasn't. And GSP's coming back and saying that Silva's stock has fallen. Um, it's a bit cheeky. Um it's partly accurate, but GSP's stock arguably has dropped as well because he hasn't been fighting. So uh, for me, that's a that's a makeable fight, but I don't think they'll make it. I think they will go for the Tyron Woodley fight. I think that's a fight that Tyron Woodley wants. I think uh, it's a fight that GSP, if you can't get that middleweight fight with Bisbing, I think the next best option is a fight with Tyron Woodley to go for his old belt again. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um that's the fight I think we'll get. As for Michael Bisbing, I think the Yoel Romero fight is absolutely the next fight now. Um, if it isn't GSP, then really has to be Yoel Romero, doesn't it? I don't know. I mean, 
unless something happens with Romero in the interim, whether he picks up an injury or something, I think Bisbee really does have to defend against Yoel Romero. I think, you know, Romero is number one contender right now. Controversial though he is. Um, but that's the fight. And I'll tell you this, uh, this is the Britpack podcast. Um, and Yoel Romero has opened up as like a two to one favorite, I think. Um, in the betting against Bisbing on some of the Vegas sports books, and I think that makes sense. Um, you know, he's a big, strong, powerful guy. Um, but I'll tell you this if Michael Bisbing gets through the first two rounds against Joel Romero in a five round title fight, expect that momentum to swing fully in the Count's favour. He has cardio for days, Romero has cardio for minutes. So I think that's going to be. That's going to be the tipping point in that fight. Romero will be incredibly dangerous in the first 10 minutes of that fight. But if Bisping keeps on his bike for for 10 minutes, keeps out of harm's way, and uh, is still there, and still in reasonable nick as we head into the third, I think Bisping will win it running away on the scorecards, or maybe even will stop him late. Um, So I think that is a fascinating contest. I know a lot of people have just jumped on the... Romero will absolutely destroy Bisbing. It's possible. It's possible that Romero could get Bisbing early. And Romero has the sort of power that if he gets you early, he could finish you. He can finish pretty much anybody in that middleweight division if he catches him. Um, But Bisbing is a very, very smart guy. He's been around the block many, many times. And he's been in there with some of the best fighters in the world. He's been in there. And he's had to deal with all sorts of different fighting styles. And uh, he will have a game plan for Yoel Romero. Um, if he gets out of the second round, I'll be putting my money on Michael Bisbing. But he's got to get through those two rounds first. It's a fascinating contest. I'm really looking forward to it. But yeah, I do think that's the fight that is going to be next for the Count Michael Bisbing. Let's scroll down the Twitter feed a little bit further. Here we go. Um, Wayne, Wayne, Corey is, Wayne Corey, I need to pronounce that properly. That could be dodgy. On Twitter has uh, has asked, I'm running out of superlatives to describe Frankie. What longevity to be at the top for so long? Uh, completely agree with you. I know that isn't technically a question, but it's a comment worth mentioning. Um, for me, he is an absolute nailed-on, copper-bottom Hall of Famer. The minute he hangs those gloves up, if he isn't put in the Hall of Fame, the very next time the Hall of Fame comes up, then it is a travesty. He is, for me what the UFC is all about. He will fight anybody at any weight, pretty much, and he will go in there and he'll scrap it out with anybody. But he isn't just a mindless brawler. He is he's technical. He's got great slick boxing. He's got excellent wrestling. He's got underrated submissions. And he's got conditioning that is the envy of anybody in that division, even though he's in his mid-30s. So, Frankie Edgar, for me, he's one of the best. He is one of the best, and uh, he's an absolute nailed-on cert as a UFC Hall of Famer. And uh, he's not done yet. I think he's still got another title running him, as he proved this past weekend. Uh, Wayne then followed up with a question. Uh, After Poirier versus Alvarez, surely it's a time for instant replays. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. And I think there are certain states that allow instant replays, and there are others that don't. And I think... My view on instant replays is if you are artificially stopping the action in order to use it, you shouldn't use it. 
and we take soccer as a great example. I was a football journalist for 15 years before I started covering MMA, and video replays has always been a hot topic of discussion within the world of soccer or football. I say soccer because I know we get Americans listening to this, but um, I I've always been of the view that if the ball is out of play and the, you know and, and and the game is effectively dead. Why not use the instant replay? It's fine. You don't stop the game to use it. But if the game stopped and you've got the facility, and it's of a certain, you know, it's a certain sort of decision. Um, statements of fact: was the ball over the line or not? Um, things like that. Was an offence inside or outside of the penalty area? Um, you know, things like that. If the game has been stopped, then I think you can use replay. And in fight sports like MMA, absolutely we should be using instant replay. Absolutely, we should be. If a referee pauses about, not stops about, pauses about, so they call a halt to the action. They've not ended the contest. So they believe a foul has been committed. Um, And if it's a foul that then goes on to end a fight, as it did on Saturday, I think the officials should have the facility to double check and to see, because if you're making a decision between Okay, is it a no contest? Is it a TKO? Is it a disqualification? Because any one of those things could could occur. So, for example, if Poirier was unable to continue the fight as a result of that knee, and it was a legal knee, then technically that fight should have been ruled as a TKO stoppage for Eddie Alvarez. If it had been an illegal knee and Poirier couldn't continue the fight, as it was... It should have been ruled as a disqualification and therefore a win to Dustin Poirier. So, and if it had been like an accidental eye poke, let's say, because you can, I think it's easy to rule those whether they're accidental or deliberate, um, then maybe there's a grey area. My opinion, I don't think there should ever be scope for whether something's accidental or not. I think it's either a foul or it isn't. People know the legal targets they can hit. And they know the areas that they can't. And they also know the times during a fight when you can and can't hit certain parts of the body. So all of that's laid out in advance. So it should be cut and dried. It should be black and white. If you hit someone with, a, with an illegal knee, you've hit them with, a, with an illegal knee. And if the fight finishes as a result of that, then unfortunately that falls on you and you're, you, you, know, you end up disqualified for that. But yeah, if the referee has access to instant replay... That makes their job better. It makes their job easier. Um, and why not? I mean, these guys have got split seconds to make decisions, and they're looking. They're often looking at different different aspects of the, you know, the uh, the exchange. So they might be looking at the fighters' eyes to check that they're still complice mentis, and they might not be able to tell whether a fighter's hand is down or whether it's just off the ground, and. Stuff like that, it's almost impossible to expect a referee to see absolutely everything first time in live in live running. So to be able to do that with an instant replay, just to make sure that we get the right decisions, I think we should. I think that makes total sense. So yeah, instant replays. And that falls into what I was saying earlier about we need a, a legitimately unified set of rules. Um, where are we? Where are we? Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Okay, Nixon Speaks has tweeted us. Uh, with the UFC Fighter Summit approaching, which fighters do you expect to be getting an added push from the UFC 
moving forward. Well, that's an interesting way you frame that question. Um, the UFC Fighter Summit is something that they do regularly where they bring all the fighters in. Uh, sometimes they do it in shifts. So one week they'll bring one batch in and then another week they'll bring another batch in. But uh, they've got this brand new campus now in Vegas. It looks very impressive. Um, they're going to bring the fighters in. They'll sit them down. I'm sure they'll brief them over the direction of the UFC. They'll talk to them about USADA, I'm sure. Um, allow the fighters to raise any concerns that they have. Um, and it's just an opportunity to help get the best out of the fighters, I guess. Um, and I don't think anything specific from the summit will lead to individual fighters being given an added push. But what I do think is potentially from this fighter summit, we might start to see the way the UFC push their fighters begin to change. Um, we might see a bit more creativity, you know, WMEIMGR, this is their business. They're in the business of building stars. So um, I think they've been in there, they've, you know, they've got their feet under the table now. They've been doing this for long enough. Now might well be the time for them to start saying, right, okay, we're going to ramp things up a little bit now. We're coming into the summer. We've got a big showpiece, International Fight Week. And that's normally when the new initiatives tend to kick in around then. Um, so wouldn't surprise me if we saw some changes. The broadcast might start to look a little different. Um, the way the fighters are being promoted might start to look a little bit different. Um but yeah, I think I think in terms of who who we expect to get an added push, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, we there are the obvious ones. You know, people like Michelle Waterson has been getting a big push. Obviously, she's coming off the back of a loss now. Cody Garbrandt is getting a big push. Um, he's in the middle of a tough season with uh, with TJ Dillashaw. Although it doesn't look like that title fight is going to happen uh, at International Fight Week. There's a concern over over Cody's back so we'll have to see what happens on that front I would like to see you know this is the Brit pack again I'd like to see some some fighters from this part of the world getting a push and Mark Diacasey has star power and uh, I think he is a prime candidate for someone who the UFC could put a little bit behind and, and really give give a serious push um, Cynthia Calvillo is another example of someone who Relatively new to the sport, or sorry, relatively new to the UFC. Um, coming out of a really good team, has impressed hugely in two high-profile spots so far in her UFC career. You know, she's made a UFC debut, and then her second fight, both of them on the main card of pay-per-views. That's almost unheard of. Um, and she impressed in both both outings. So she takes on Jojo Calderwood, um, and I, th I think it's the co-main event in, in Glasgow. So... That will be a great fight. That will be a really good fight. So, um, yeah, I think I think it really is. I mean, like the if if you're a fighter, just just be yourself. Be yourself and turn just turn the volume up a little bit on your own personality. Don't try and be something that you're not. Uh, don't try and become a clone of Conor McGregor um, because it worked for him. Because all all that happens is you get called a Conor McGregor clone, and that doesn't do you any good. So. Just be yourself. Be yourself. Just turn the volume up a bit on your own personality and uh, people will start to take notice. But uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they, how the, you know, what, what stories come out of the uh, the Fighter Summit. Uh, what have we got here? Paul James. Other than Manoa 
as he's a backup, which other British fighter is closest to being in title contention? This is this is a good question because Manor is clearly, you know, he 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 is the guy. He's one he's one step away. Um, I would say Joanne Calderwood is probably the next highest. Uh, the reason for that is, I think she has the potential to be a contender in two divisions, um, and she could still contend at one fifteen. She just needs to string one, maybe two wins together, and she'll be there. And I think her best performance of a UFC career came against Valerie Letourneau, who, let's not forget, went the distance with Yorani and Jacek and, and, and did well in that fight. Um, she absolutely smashed Valerie Letourneau at £125. And I know Jojo Calderwood signed to fight Cynthia Calvillo at 115 and she said at the presser that she was a bit pissed off that she seemed to be the last one to know that this £125 division was coming. Um because she signed up to fight at 115. But I think if Jojo moves over to 125, she'll be a serious title threat. So I would put her at the top right now. We've got we've got other British fighters who are at sort of prospect level right now and they're looking to move up. And I think they've got a little bit of seasoning and a, a little bit to go. People like Dear Casey, he's got a bit of a, um, a journey to go through before he gets into title contention because he's in probably the most stacked weight class in the UFC right now. You've got Arnold Allen, who is in one of the other more talent stack weight classes in the UFC at featherweight. Um, he he could potentially move his way up there and potentially become a contender in the years to come. But these two guys are both young in the sport still, uh, and they're still both young in their UFC career. I think it's going to take them a little bit of time before they're right up there in title contendership. So right now, right now, I would say um, Jojo Calderwood. What else do we have here? Uh, Paul James again. Also, are you guys going to the Bellator event on Friday? If so, might see you guys there. Well, you'll definitely see Chimat Karsandu there because he's six foot four and he's pretty distinctive. So you'll see him knocking around the place. So uh, if you see him, just scream the Brit pack at him. He'll be very pleased about that. Um, and uh, I'll be sitting at press row uh, on fight night. I'm not there during the week. I'm working working from home this week. Um, but I will be, uh, I'll be cage side on fight night. So, um, if, uh, if any of you end up anywhere near the press seats on fight night, um, by all means, give me a shout between the fights. And if I, if I hear you, uh, I will quite happily come over and, uh, we can have a quick gym wag between the fights. Uh, what else have we got here? Right. Why George, this is Ash Sajad. Uh, why George St. Pierre wants to be respected by the UFC, whereas he's not himself respecting the right of six to seven middleways. Okay, I, I think I get what you're getting at there. Why Why does he want respect from the UFC if he seems quite happy to jump the queue in a middleweight division? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but it looks as if that's not going to happen anyway now, so that might be redundant as of now. I think he may well be uh, being guided back to 170 which I think is definitely the right move for everyone concerned. Graham Hughes, will Edgar get another title shot? And should all the events not now be officiated under one rule set after the mess with the Alvarez fight? I refer you back, Graham, to what I've already said on the show. Yes, they absolutely should. As for Frankie Edgar, he deserves it. He certainly deserves it. uh, And he certainly earns it. Um, Dana White, in in an interview this week, was... uh, 
making a distinction between the two, whether you deserve. So you don't get what you deserve, you get what you earn. Well, Frank Yeager has earned it. Um, it, be, it gets a bit tricky if Jose Aldo wins, because then you, you have the tricky issue of selling a trilogy fight where the champion is already 2-0 and in that trilogy. So that gets tricky. So, yeah, as I said earlier, if, you're, if, you're, if you want to see Frank Yeager get a title shot, um, I guess you must be cheering on Max Holloway when, uh, when, when he takes on Jose. Um, RG on Twitter has tweeted, uh, read some recent criticism of Ioannia Jacek, quotes, she doesn't knock enough people out, close quotes. How unspeakably stupid are some MMA, quote, fans? Well, here's the thing, right? And this is, this, is, this is a slogan that my dad told me many, many years ago. He said, opinions are like arseholes, son. Everyone's got one. And uh, everyone's entitled to an opinion, where, even if it's dumb, right? So, yeah. People want to criticize you, Annie and JJ, because she doesn't knock enough people out. Take a look around the rest of the strawweight division. And uh, you show me you show me someone who's knocking people out. Knocking people out at 115 pounds. They're just not there. They're just not there. You know, Joanna is is the most dominant champion. Uh, along with Demetrius Johnson in the UFC. She fights in an exciting style. She fights with, with real viciousness and tenacity and speed and technique. She's got a great personality uh, away from the fights. And then when she gets into fight mode, she becomes this absolute killer. She's She ticks almost every box. Okay. She doesn't send women spinning to the ground or, you know, sort of roll their eyes back and knock them out clean. Okay. Okay. There's more than one way to skin a cat, is what I would say. There, there, there's, there, are, there are many, many ways to win an MMA fight. Um, and knocking people out, Sparco, is only one of them. Um, and uh, nobody has come close to beating her at this point. So, yeah, I mean, everyone's everyone's entitled to their opinion, RG. But, I mean, I'm with you. Um, if you can't appreciate just the level of skill, the level of talent on display when you're Annie and Jacek fights then I don't think you're getting the most out of the sport of MMA. And hopefully over time, maybe you will. Um, what else have we got here? Have we got any more? Just scrolling up. Uh, Anth Riley, who should GSP fight? What can the UFC do to, quote, understand the Diaz brothers? This is a great question. Well, it's a great two-part question. First off, who should GSP fight? He should fight Tyron Woodley. That's the fight right now. He should fight Tyron Woodley. Damian Meyer needed some time off. So this is the perfect opportunity for GSP to fight. It doesn't interfere with anything. It keeps the division moving. Um, No one gets screwed over. No one gets left on the sidelines. Everyone's a winner. Book the fight. July, ideally, would be great. And what can the UFC do to, quote, understand the Diaz brothers? The Diaz brothers are great. I, I, I don't ever want the Diaz brothers to change. But I just want to see them fight. So there needs to be something. There needs to be, a, you know, they need to have a sit down. To be honest with you, it's difficult to know if you're Nate Diaz, what fights are you going to take? Because the Conor McGregor fight is is the obvious one. The trilogy fight with Conor McGregor and that fight will do spectacular pay-per-view numbers. And I think once this whole McGregor-Mayweather thing has run its course, whether the fight happens 
or whether it gets scrapped. Um, the Diaz-McGregor fight, I think, is the obvious fight to make. And that might be one of the reasons why Diaz hasn't been put in anything else yet. So maybe hold that in, in, in sort of the back of your mind. We know they tried to put him in with Tony Ferguson. Um, that's a fight I'd love to see. And I think that's a fight that makes total sense. And have the winner of that. Do that for the interim belt. Do that for, I'm, you know, I'm not a huge fan of interim belts. If Connor's not defending the title right now, do an interim belt. And do Diaz versus Tony Ferguson. Pay them good money. Pay them proper money. Do the fight. Do it as a headliner. Do it in California. And, and, uh, just, just make it a, just, just make it the show that it really could and should be. Um, as for Nick Diaz, I don't know what desire there is from Nick Diaz to come back again. Uh, I'd love to see him back, but you know we've not seen much of him, so maybe we've seen the last of him. I don't know. I'd love to see him back. I'd also love to. I, you know, I think there's so many good fights you could put Diaz in there with. The the fight I really want to see is is Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. And we're not going to see that for a little while because Robbie Lawler is going to fight um, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. So, and Cowboy Cerrone versus Nick Diaz wouldn't suck either, would it? So, maybe the winner of that should fight Nick Diaz. Who knows? But uh, how to understand them? I, I don't think it's necessarily a case of understanding them. I think you just need to make them an offer they can't refuse. I mean, they are a rarity in this in this UFC era. In that. These are fighters that aren't just saying yes when the phone rings. These are guys who are... They'll say yes when, when, when the conditions are right for them. And and I'd, I've got no problem with that. I think... Uh, I just hope that they can come to a point where the conditions are right. And that we do get to see them fight. Because they're two of the most exciting, entertaining, uh, fan favourite fighters in the world. And, and the sport is a poorer place without the likes of Nate and Nick Diaz getting in there and doing their thing. And just as Nate has really seems to have hit stardom, we talked earlier on about fighters that the UFC could really do with giving a push. Nate Diaz is top of that list. They need to push Nate Diaz as the baddest man out there right now. Because if Conor McGregor comes back, he needs a foil. He needs he needs a nemesis. And Diaz is that guy because he's beaten him. Um, that's what I would do. So, fingers crossed stuff can be worked out and at the very least we get to see Nate back in there again Daryl Chumley uh, and this is our last question of the week uh, is Holloway beating Aldo the better of the outcomes for Frankie Edgar and the division as a whole because Aldo versus Edgar 3 is a very tough sell yeah absolutely we covered that um, earlier in the show um, it'd be, it's hard to know what they'll do with Aldo um, maybe they'll do Cub Swanson again if Aldo wins, maybe Cub Swanson gets the shot because he's right up there and he's deserving of another crack. And there's a, and there's a backstory there because Swanson did fight Aldo before and got knocked out very, very quickly. Uh, we're not talking Aldo McGregor quickly, but we're talking quickly. So um, that'll be one he wants to run back. An awful lot of water has gone under the bridge since that fight. So I think that then becomes a narrative rather than a hindrance to the promotion of the fight, if that makes sense. Um so I think if Aldo wins, Cub Swanson gets the shot. I think if Max Holloway wins, Frankie Edgar gets the shot. So we'll see what happens. Um, as for who I think will win between Holloway and Aldo, right now I'm picking Max. Um, 
I think Max is going to work Aldo. I really do. Uh, Aldo is one of the most technical fighters in the world, but he needs space. He needs space. And I don't think Holloway will give him space. And I think Holloway has got a chin on him and will be prepared to walk through uh, some of Aldo's strikes in order to close that distance. And if he can do that, then we really will see uh, a serious test of Jose Aldo's skills. And if Aldo then gets through uh, Max Holloway, then he really is legitimately the uh, the best guy in that division. So uh, looking forward to that fight. There's so many big fights with that big press conference. We didn't even touch on that. Maybe we'll talk about that on next week's show. We need Sandy for that one. We definitely need Sandy for that one. And obviously what we'll do, we will look back on what's coming up this Friday night, Bellator 179. I understand in the UK we're going to get it on Channel 5. I believe it'll be on one hour delay. Don't ask me. Sport on a, de- on a tape delay. It's 2017. No idea. But anyway, enjoy the fights and uh, I will speak to you. Thanks so much for listening, by the way. We'll wrap up. Sorry, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up all, all business. The Britpat MMA uh, on Twitter. Follow us, please. TheBritpatMMA.com. Go to the website, check it out. Lots of cool stuff on there, including all of our past shows. And don't forget, you can follow Sandu at Sandu MMA. You can follow me at Simon Head. Follow our coverage of, of Fight Week at MMAJunkie.com. Follow my live Fight Night coverage at MMA365.com. And that's it done, episode 39. Thank you so much for being with me uh, on this week's show. And we will speak to you, both of us, next week.